Welcome to the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations podcast: The Importance of Communication in Change Management. I'm Linda Larson, Academic Operations Manager in the School of Business at North Central University, and today I'm joined by Laura Porter, owner of Holler Communications and partner of Triple Play Consulting. Today, our discussion will focus on change management and the key role that communication plays. Welcome, Laura, and thanks so much for taking the time to come and chat. Thank you, guys, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Laura. I'm excited about our topic of conversation. To get us started, can you please tell us a bit about yourself? Sure.、Uh, my name is Laura Porter, and、uh, I've had my own strategic communications business for about seven years now. I help clients get the right messaging read and seen and heard by their target audiences,、um, and I'm also part of Triple Play Consulting. It's a partnership between myself and one other person right now after our other partner retired, and we've done a lot of change management and internal communications work. So I think I have a lot to share here about some of our lessons learned. That's amazing. Well, we're hearing a lot about change management in organizations these days. How would you explain what it is, and how does an organization initiate to carry out change management? Sure. First of all, I think change management's been around for a long time, but I think、um, the practice of really having a process for doing it successfully is a little more modern. Um, change management is a term that I would say is used to refer to the introduction of new processes, tools, or behaviors in an organization. It also involves the management of people who are experiencing the change. And the fact is, you cannot have change management without good communication to support the change. I've been a part of poor change management experience when two very different companies merged with different cultures and ways of doing things, and really that, and then seeing successful change programs has kind of led me to learn a lot of lessons along the way. That sounds very interesting. Can you share a little bit about those lessons and how do steps in change management apply to organizations differently? I'll go through some of the different、um, steps and kind of the way that I have gone through change management and approach it with my clients. So first, when any client wants to institute a change,、uh, I think of it like when you want to plan a trip, it helps to know the final destination, and then you can work out all the details. So you may want to ask different questions if you're like the leadership team deciding to institute a change,、um, and you can't jump right into solutions, which I think a lot of people say, "Okay, well, I want to do this, and we have to go immediately to make this happen." <laughs> well, you have to step back and think about what your goals are, and the goals should be smart, which is specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-based. And I was thinking, since I'm talking to the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations, that it makes sense to give an example of a hypothetical company, and we'll say it's one with 2,500 employees who maybe recently went virtual. Leaders know that there have been some miscommunications in various platforms employees are using to communicate with each other, but they may not have an idea of who is using what. Uh, they just know that they want to improve collaboration and connection, so they've set this goal to get all employees to use Slack 
uh, for day-to-day communications, and Dropbox for document sharing. So this is where the research comes in. And if you are the team, usually it's not the leaders necessarily doing the change. They set the goals. You are the communications uh, and change expert coming in. You need to then do your research. Um, And it helps, I think, to set and manage expectations with leaders and let them know what the process is throughout. So again, telling them we're not going to institute solutions right away. We need to do this research first. Any questions about the goals and objectives? No, I think that makes that makes a lot of sense, Laura. Um, I guess in the case of small businesses and large enterprises, how would those processes be different or strategies be a little bit different? Yeah, and what we can talk about that a little bit more, but I would say, you know, the same basic steps that we're going to go through apply to all organizations, but some of the methods may not make sense in a smaller organization. For instance, you know, when we talk about research, we're going to talk about surveys and one-on-ones and anonymity can be challenging in a small organization. So if there isn't trust with leaders, it can be more challenging for employees to feel comfortable sharing what they really think. So that's one potential challenge um, with a small organization. Also, obviously, budget constraints. When you're eventually implementing solutions, a larger company may have a bigger budget uh, to bring in outside experts. Um, and then also in, in bigger organizations, you could be dealing with different cultures within a company, right? So you might have the way marketing has done things is different the, the way operations does them. So you're dealing with specific cultural differences within teams. And that's not necessarily the case for smaller organizations. So that brings me back to kind of that next step. So we, we have our uh, goal and then we need to conduct the research. So this is where we would want to find out how many employees are already using Slack um, and Dropbox the way that leadership wants them to be used. You'd have to look to understand who your different audiences are, whether there are early adopters or if many of the employees may be hesitant for this change. Um, And as I said before, audiences in larger organizations may also be your sales team is different and your operations team is different. So beyond early adopters and resistant to change, it could be differences among those type of teams. And then as you conduct your research, you'll better understand the audience and can develop personas, which I'll talk about a little later. Um, So how did you conduct this research? Well, uh, you can use employee surveys focus group, one-on-one discussions. And then sometimes you might want to look to external sources like Glassdoor or Blind to see what employees may be really thinking or sharing outside of the company. So I assume that you'll have to assess your findings, Laura? Yeah. So, you know, once you've done that research, you have all this information and then you want to look for patterns. You know, are certain groups focused on specific issues Are there problems and concerns limited to specific teams or individuals? Um, Are those challenges universal? Um, And then, you know, you identify kind of verbatims, very powerful and persuasive with, I think, leadership. And when you're sharing these findings eventually, um, you know, you don't want to necessarily shy away from controversial or derogatory comments. I think sometimes there's that gap, right, between what 
leaders think employees feel and want uh, versus what they actually feel and want. So that's why it's important for you to bring that information to leaders in a productive way, but still, you know, constructive and real way. So if we're going back to, uh, you know, our example of using Slack uh, and Dropbox, say you do your research and you realize that one of the problems is employees aren't using Slack because they don't know how to use it properly. Uh, They may only use email. Some are using a totally different platform like Google Chat to communicate. Uh, It's important to really understand who's doing what and how they're using it to then make progress and figure out how to get people to make this change. Um, I think it's also important, I'm going to step back and say, you know, sometimes the goal may not make sense across the organization and leaders need to reassess their goals and under once they kind of gain a better understanding of what's happening before they definitely, you know, move forward. So let's say in this case, you know, they they look at all the information, but then they realize, you know, does it make sense for everyone to use these same tools? Um, and they determine, you know what, it does because they realize the problems of lack of communication and information sharing and the expense of having multiple platforms being used is just too high. So they say, yes, we do need to move forward with this. So then it's time to start thinking about solutions and figuring out, you know, how to go about developing those. So Laura, you've assessed your findings. Um, Can you share maybe what strategies or best practices um, at this point uh, companies and organizations should move on? So yeah, the process of benchmarking uh, involves seeking out best practices from the top workplaces. It first became popular back in the 80s as part of the quality and process improvement movement. In its early phases, benchmarking was a comprehensive study of a top-performing company and often included visits to company headquarters and work sites to gather information and observe processes. That type of corporate tourism is pretty rare these days. Instead, benchmarking is generally more limited to specific topics. For example, it would be, okay, well, how is this company, you know, instituted Slack and Dropbox as the primary methods for communications and document sharing? So let's say in your research, you find that best practices show that training all staff on Slack, um, bringing on in an outside trainer, and then having leaders and management demonstrate how they use Slack and making sure that you have key messages that share why Slack as a primary communication tool is essential for a company's success will be best. You know, it's good to consider these best practices when considering solutions, because I think often companies feel that they always need to reinvent the wheel, which isn't true. If there's information out there about how companies have done it well, you can take at least the steps and processes that apply and that you have the budget for, and then use that with your own company. Now, that sounds great, Laura. So you spoke a lot about best practices. Um, how would you know what what to use, which a- approach to use or strategies to use? I think you need to balance new ideas with improvements to existing ones. So for instance, you may already have a Slack tutorial online, 
um, but you're recognizing it's not enough. So you don't necessarily get rid of it. Maybe there's a way to improve that. Or maybe you also do want to bring in a trainer or bring in someone else that can show uh, the best way for it to be used. You also want to make sure if employees in your focus groups or one-on-one sessions came up with some ideas that you considered really good, you want to make sure that they give get that credit. Um, and because I think that's also important for morale building and letting employees know that they are part of this process. I think that can't be underlined enough that it's not just leaders or an outside expert coming in and telling you what needs to be done. It's employees being part of the solution building. Now, you talked about, you know, what solutions should be used and not used. Well, I think we talked earlier about, you know, obviously it depends on your budget. Um, So maybe your company doesn't have the resources to bring in a trainer then you have to look at other options. Consider maybe a train-the-trainer session or creating training guides internally. There are different things that are going to work for each organization, and you just kind of have to figure out what that formula is for your company. So, Laura, how would you measure um, the effectiveness of these solutions and strategies? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, first of all, the number one rule is you always want to tie metrics back to program goals and company goals. Um, You want to use various data for your sources. So, you know, you may look at usage statistics that the tools have themselves inherent in in the tools. Um, you may want to also resurvey folks. So you did a survey to see how employees like using Slack or understand Slack uh, early before that you've implemented the change program. And then you'd probably want to do it again six months in and then maybe a year in. Um, and it's also important to have your managers really involved in this process as well. I think managers often aren't looped in early enough to this change process. And one thing we've found, um, myself and my partners, when we've instituted change programs is having specific messages and information about manager for managers so that they can then share this with employees and make sure employees understand you know, what's in it for them and why this is important is a key factor. So Laura, you set your measurements to test out effectiveness. How would you go about implementing those changes? Sure. So first you're going to want to, you know, read out the results to your leadership and share more about what you've learned. I should say that actually throughout the process, I think it's important for leaders to be brought in. So maybe early on you want to do a, you know, early key themes so that they aren't necessarily surprised when you've done all this work at what you found. So at the end, um, as you've been communicating all along, you're now going to kind of come up with that plan that has, you know, an action plan with key dates and follow-up activities to make this change happen. Uh, We also recommend that you start with a small group of champions to kind of test out your processes and the new ways of doing things. Um, And then they can be champions for you and for 
Slack and Dropbox um, and explain to others, you know, oh my goodness, this has helped our team be more productive and more useful. So um, again, involving the employees in that process is really important. And then again, ensuring your messaging when you're rolling out to the whole company answers the what's in it for me question for each stakeholder group. And I talked earlier, I think, about personas. Um, this is something that a lot of folks do. So they create, you know, here's a, a user, Sally, who uh, has been using Slack for years and is thrilled with it and um, already is doing what the leaders want her to do. You know, so what the, what's in it for her is maybe, well, now you can be a champion or a leader and show others how uh, this is the best way to work. And then maybe you have another persona, um, let's say Jim, who is a little more hesitant because he's always been doing things a different way and doesn't really understand how this will help. Well, you know, the messaging and the way that you approach change with him is going to be different. So that's, it's important to kind of group your, your folks and understand how to talk to them in a way that that's makes sense to them. And then finally, I would say you want to follow up. Um, you're going to always continue to remeasure and reassess. So say a year down the line, you found now that you went from 40% of employees using both Dropbox and Slack to 75%. Well, your initial goal was all 100%. You know, you have to determine, is this, is this the best you're going to get? Do you want to continue? What do you need to get do to get those last 25% of the people using it? Um, you know, it's just constant reassessment and remeasurement and strategy. Laura, thank you so much for, for sharing. Um, we often hear the adage that change is inevitable and adapting to change is challenging. What are the potential drawbacks of change management? No, I, I definitely think there are, are a number of them. Um, as I think I noted earlier, you know, sometimes behaviors and cultures are so ingrained that it becomes difficult to implement new ways of doing things. I'm actually currently helping a client roll out a new value and behavior campaign to address gaps that they found in their climate survey. Um, and what I think we found is, you know, it might take time, some handholding, and even turnover to make the change lasting. Overcoming the well, at the old company, we always did things this way is tough. Um, you know, you really need to show them why X doesn't work anymore. And sometimes you're not going to reach everyone. So turnover can be okay um, if you're losing a few people that just aren't willing to make that change. Um, but, you know, you, you want to get most of the folks on board. One of the other challenges and drawbacks I've seen is that leadership may not always be fully bought into the change. So if employees sense hesitancy on the leader's part, they might say, well, they don't seem to care. They don't want to do it. So why should I? So really, this change has to start at and come from the top. 
Um, and we talked before about managers having that important role to communicate the change to their employees clearly. Um, you don't, but, you know, again, senior leaders can be so removed from what their day-to-day employees are dealing with that they may not be able to relate to each other, which is where those managers come in to really sell the change. Laura, thank you so much for a robust and informative conversation. Are there any closing thoughts you would like to leave with us? Yeah, you know, I think there's a bit of a generational component to change management. Um, you know, I think boomers and other more senior seasoned, let's say, <laughs> leaders may assume that employees will simply fall in line and adapt because, you know, that was traditionally how work worked. Uh, you know, you'd come in, you, the big boss would tell you to do something and you did it. Um, but I would say, you know, Gen X, millennials and Gen Zers are more likely to question and push back if the change doesn't maybe make sense to them. So executives need to really consider the changing workforce and act accordingly. So it sounds like change management is not exactly a, a one-shoe-fit-all and one non-changing process itself. It's something that's also evolving in some ways. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think sometimes we go forward and sometimes we don't. It's interesting talking to, again, a virtual organization um, because Elon Musk Uh, recently announced that everyone in Tesla is required to spend a minimum of 40 hours in the office per week, which is very different than what a lot of other organizations are doing. Um, And, you know, that change may backfire for him. Um, I don't know if he's doing change management. It sounds like from the way he's been talking about it, he specifically said, if you don't show up, we will assume you have resigned. (laughs) So fear is certainly one way that uh, to try to implement change, but I would say, and I would say a lot of experts would say, it's probably not the best approach. Absolutely. And I think, I, I think a lot of people might, might actually agree. <laughs> so Laura, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Um, thank you so much for joining us in support of the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations. We truly appreciate your insights and know our listeners will benefit from your experience. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Linda. It's been great talking to you.